Listen to the Islanders Never Say Die podcast, your one-stop shop for Islanders news, analysis, and opinions, featuring the biggest personalities in sports podcasting, TJ and the Grumpy Old Man. That's right, TJ. If you want your opinions viewed through orange and blue-colored glasses from an Islander Bobo and charter member of the Louie Trust crowd, you'll love the measured commentary from TJ. On the other hand, if you want the unvarnished truth of a hockey purist, a genius, a legend, and an all-around great guy, the grumpy old man's insane ramblings will be just what you need to survive each and every week. An all-around great guy? Well, we also have weekly installments of Stump the Grump, an absolute fan favorite. Make sure to participate in our live streams and listen every Monday and Thursday to the bi-weekly podcast. You can find the Islanders Never Say Die podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Hey everybody and welcome to season two of Red Wings Rant. That's right. We're... Oh, there's the burps. We're talking oh, in a passion, please, about your Detroit Red Wings. Have a home. That's right. Red Wings rant is uh, we're ready to roll that season two, Mike. Uh, we have an awesome show. Uh, we're definitely going to cut back on doing those hour and a half long episodes since we're going to be going twice a week now. That's right. Thursdays, uh, the podcast will go live. Whenever we can fit the live show before then, uh, we'll do that. And then we're still going to go live Sunday mornings, and then the episode starts on Monday, all that fun stuff. So, um, everybody, we're happy to have you. This is our first time recording live at night, too, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, but if you saw in the title, that's right. Today, we have the one and only Greg Wyshynski of ESPN helping, uh, helping us figure out what's going to go on with those Detroit Red Wings today. Uh, it was an extremely fun conversation. Uh, he, he's definitely, I mean, he's Greg Wyshynski, so um, he, he definitely was full Greg Wyshynski today. He's always fun to, to, to listen to on his podcast, and now I know he is an absolute joy to speak to. Uh, so that'll be coming up, but we could not just skip over, Mike. All of our, our fun games that we play. Uh, so we still have some beer tasting to go on. And then we have to give a quick shout out because we're still going to give you guys time to fill out the uh, poll for Be The GM. So head on over to at BOD Hockey to do our poll for this week. I think it probably makes sense that I go ahead and read off what the question is. Right, Mike? Yeah. Um, so here, here we go. We got... We, got, we have we quite a few... We have quite a few votes. All right, go ahead. I'm going to kick the fuck. Oh, my God. That second one, I wanted to murder you. The first (laughs) one, you're like, okay, that was hilarious. The second one, you're like, gosh. (laughs) The third one, like, all right, it's funny again. All right, Matt, go ahead. What do you got for us? All right, so we're all on board to send Darren Helm packing, right? Good. All right, so, Mike. This week's Be the GM. It's trade deadline time. The Wings have multiple forward injuries, and Darren Helm is one of the few forwards left. He can fetch a fifth-round pick, or you can keep the 200-foot – I put center, but left wing, forward, right wing. You know, he plays He plays them all. Right. Uh, you, you keep him to ice a team, uh, or do you grab that pick? What, what would you do? So the, the options are send him packing. You keep him. Uh, ask for a fourth instead of a fifth rounder because you're like, hey, man, come on. Look how shitty of a situation we're in. Or, Mike, option number four, you make Darren Helm your captain. That's uh, that's obviously going to happen well well in advance. We have votes for that. Um, 
Mike, go go for it. What what are we doing I, here? Because I would use my own car to drive him to the airport. <laughs> Is that an available answer? Um, I would and, love a sixth round pick, a seventh round pick, um, some extra miles on my car. Um, I, as long as we get that yeah. that pit off the books, we are good to go, my man. Because you guys want to head on over to uh, brothersofdiscussion.com and bodpodcast.com and check out Red Wings Rant because we also posted uh, Jesse's uh, blog this week is about what we can fetch for Darren Holmes. So we always try to wrap in our Be the GM with uh, whoever Jesse's blogging about. And it's just right. got so hard to make a Be the GM for, for Darren Helm. It's really just like, yeah, of course I trade him away. <laughs> the problem. Is, do we actually think anybody's going to want him? I, I, I think it just turns into one no. of those that this contract's going to end. He'll still be a Red Wing. And uh, it'll kind of maybe be a feel-good story that he's a career Red Wing. Uh, and that'll be that. Yeah, I mean, he's a you know, UFA um, after this season. Um, I, I don't anticipate anybody picking him up except maybe to you know um, ice a minor league team. <laughs> or if there's like a you know, minor league coaching spot and maybe Darren wants to, you know, teach some guys how to get shot out of a cannon and then uh, fire wildly into the boards behind the goalie. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of guys like that. But, uh, yeah, I, if you can get anything for him, we're not re-signing him. Uh, he, if he's coming back, it's on a veteran's minimum to, uh, you know, help clean up the pucks at the end of practice. Um, this, this is the end, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, it's – the hardest part about all of this, Mike, again, it was just me trying to figure out how do I turn this into a be the GM game? Uh, but Mike, our other game. So check that out. Uh, put in your vote. Uh, right now it's 90% send them packing. So I'm glad the Red Wings universe isn't like, oh, I don't know. He's been, oh, golly gee, he's been such a sweetie, sweetie to us. But no, they're, they're on board. Let's say bit adieu to, uh, to Darren. But Mike, uh, our other game. We're going to play before we go into that Greg Wyshynski interview. Of course, we're going to be sipping and tasting. Uh, let me pull sipping and gripping. <laughs> uh, the Rochester Mills uh, 12 Days of Christmas Milkshake Stout. Uh, yeah. th this is something that uh, we've been doing for uh, a couple of weeks now. And now we finally get to enjoy some beer on a more timely uh, manner here. So that we're not drinking Sunday morning. Uh, now, that is one way to start a Sunday morning. Uh, I got to say, it hasn't really put me off too far out of whack, but uh, this will definitely help I, uh, me fall asleep tonight. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I drink the Rocks tequila on all our Sunday shows, but uh, yeah, let's get into this. We picked uh, Peanut Butter Cup tonight. Yeah. And uh, you I... usually get to hear two cans get cracked open, but Matt just, oh. he's hes quite the eager beaver over there. <laughs> oh, my mistakes. Oh, be careful, man. Oh. I like condensation's coming out. There we go. Okay. All right. Let's pour this sucker. Right, here comes Matt out of a glass. I'm doing a can. I don't know which is the, the control of the experiment, which is the variable. Um, we should both we should both have a glass and a can. Uh, that is uh, this is gonna sound dirty, but that is a mighty big head on that beer. Um, mm. now the uh, peanut butter notes, Mike, just exploded right from the get go. There was a lot of peanut butter there. Um, I haven't taken a sip yet. Mike, you've taken a sip. I mean, join you here. Oh, oh, uh-oh. Oh, no. Is it that bad? Are you throwing it back into the can? No, I was putting it back in so we could sip at the same time. Hmm. Clever. Um, all right. Mike, 
right off the bat. So we've done uh, chocolate chip pancake stout. We've done the uh, maple stout. What else did we do? We did the king cake stout. That was uh, easily the worst one. Uh, Mike, I think I've just tasted easily uh, the best one. The first one was excellent. This, it is right up there. Because you can really taste chocolate and nuts. So we were in uh, the eight range for the chocolate chip pancake stout. Uh, the maple stout, we were both uh, around seven. And then the king cake, I think we were around five. So I, I got to start. We got to start. We're going to be doing drinkability, matching the flavor of what we just read on the can. And, of course, the marketing. How does that can look? So drinkability, uh, Mike, I'll go, I'll go first here on this peanut butter stout. Um, I will say I did not finish that king cake stout. That got uh, that got a big fat zero uh, from old Matt um, in regards to any more sips that happened after the recording. Was that you filling the can up with barf? Yes. Uh, this one, look, this one gets closer to what I want from my stouts. I, again, we really like the chocolate chip pancake stout. You want a chocolatey flavor from your stout. This is another chocolatey one. I like the addition, though, of that peanut butter. And it's real smooth. These have all been super smooth. So drinkability goes into that. Is that flavor consumable? Is it actually, are you are you able to continue to sip this? Um, Mike, Matt. this is it. I'm giving it an 8.5. This is my highest score so far on drinkability. Um, I think as far as drinkability goes, this is liquid candy. Matt, I am blown away at how smooth this is. Um, I, I don't know if the Reese's brothers themselves could make something this drinkable. Um, are they actually brothers? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we're going to pretend are they brothers? They are. I don't, might be sisters. Nobody gets around that irritates my sister. Matt, you know those lyrics better than I do. Uh, but I'm going to say, uh, Matt, I'm going to give it a 9.1. This is very Holy drinkable. Holy crap. All right. So we're both we're both on board with this being number one so far. Can uh, I just say, as far yeah. as like adding things to beers, like for flavored beers, yeah. There's something like an old school like being in a in a dive bar. Remember remember we used to go to bars and see people? And they used to back in the long time ago, before we knew that we had to wash our hands, um, you could just have a bowl <laughs> of nuts on your table. Yeah. And uh, it used to be a good pairing to have uh, a, a nice glass of beer and then nuts that everybody's just gotten out of the bathroom without washing their hands and just rummage around in there for the good nuts on the bottom. There's something about that beer-nut combo, and that's what this can does. Like, it's got the chocolate in there, but it's also got a beer-nut combo. Um, it, it's, it's basically what I call Manhattaning where Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen could instantly teleport to a space and time. I feel yeah. like I just teleported to a space and time. So this, this beer gives me uh, a Manhattan score of like a nine, which is a new criteria just made up, but yeah, drinkability 9.1. Love it. Matching the flavor. You got the, the peanut butter cup, Mike. That's what we're trying to match here. And you have to take into consideration that obviously it's not going to taste exactly like a peanut butter cup. But as close as this can get to a peanut butter cup, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, it's It's got to be the best score I've given so far, but it's not like perfect or anything. So I'm going to say 7.9. Matt, I think part of my criteria is if you just 
gave me this can with a blindfold on. Could you guess? Could I, I guess like the flavor? Um, and I would I would be like, wow, that's like a, like a Snickers. And you'd be like, eh, peanut butter cup, dumbass. Uh, so I'm going to say it doesn't actually have caramel flavor. Uh, but I'm going to give it another 9.1. I think that if you did a blind test, you would guess this is a cup of peanut butters. I like it. And the can, Mike. Now, last week we had that creepy can that had a baby on it because it was the baby cake or the king baby. Yeah, you do get this? a plus. You do get a plus two to your score if you don't have a naked baby on your can. <laughs> uh, this has some beautiful looking. Uh, I can't do it. Uh, Reese's cups. I, I got to say, these look really good, and I think it adds to the enjoyment of the beer. Where we haven't gotten that since the chocolate chip pancake stout. Uh, yeah. So this, Mike, the can. I mean, if we're talking about an, a can, right? Is it doing the job of, of being a can? Well, yeah, obviously, yeah, it held the beer. But yes. is it helping make this taste better? Mike, I'm going to go 9.5 on the can. You know, it doesn't taste like a Reese's. It tastes like one of those like fancy like chocolate peanut butter cups where you have that Ooh, real yeah. distinction in the in the bite. And you can feel the separation when you when you put it in your molars, and you got a little peanut buttery treat for later when you're cleaning yeah. out your gums. <laughs> I'm gonna say, Matt, there's no reason to steer away from the nine point one. This is a very impressive oh average. Um, I'm going nine ones across the board. You want to guess what your score came out to be, Mike? Um, <laughs> all right, so Mike's at nine point one across the board for this peanut butter cup stout. I am at eight point five eight for my overall score. I, however you want to cut it, this is now the number one beer to come out of that 12 Days of Christmas box. And I, you know, when I looked at the box, I said, I want to do a good one tonight to start off season two. And I think, I think I we think nailed we did it. it. Yeah, I think we nailed it. I and think I'm going to be, did it. <laughs> I think I'm going to be pretty sad if this is the best one, because we've got quite a few to go. Uh, we're four deep so far. So yeah. eight, eight more to go. But uh, Mike, uh, with Man. that, uh, what I want to do is transition into the interview with uh, Greg Wyshynski. So there's going to be a bit of a transition here as I pull up the actual video. But uh, everybody, I want you to sit back and relax. We're going to have some fun conversations. We play the regular old Red Wings went, uh, Red Red Wings rant shenanigans, and then we're going to get into some Red Wings talk um, eventually and uh, <laughs> get some insight from the head, you know, the senior writer for for ESPN in regards to NHL. Uh, coverage. He's going to tell us what's going on with um, hockey actually coming, uh, actually starting January 1st. So uh, some major insight there from from Greg. Um, and I really hope you guys enjoy it as much as I just enjoyed uh, jibber-jabbering. So uh, <laughs> let's, uh, hey, uh, Autobots, we're going to roll out. Um, and then uh, there'll be a pre-recorded Matt that'll take over here in just a minute. So uh, everybody, here's, uh, here's, Here's Matt talking to Greg Wyshynski. Uh, today, I have the co-host of the Puck Soup podcast, co-host of ESPN on Ice, if that hasn't done it. He's also the senior NHL writer at ESPN, the author of Take Your Eyes Off the Puck. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the jersey foul spotting legend, Greg Wyshynski. Greg, how are you? <laughs> Thank you for that introduction. Uh you know, I I, I do spot I do spot them, but I mostly rely on people to submit them. So as per usual, if anybody has any jersey fouls on their camera rolls, uh, please tweet them to me as my uh, 
my, my collection is, is dwindling as far as the number of I haven't used uh, in my column. I'll change that to the inbox curating. <laughs> All right, so I, th I thought we'd jump in. We'll do a couple of uh, break the ice elements here, and then we'll. Uh, what I wanted you on here for was to talk uh, the national perspective for the Detroit Red Wings, and as I just gave you a little bit of insight into how we manage our show, sometimes you know you get too local of a perspective for a hockey team, and, it, and everything gets a little muddied. You, you, you fall in love with players that uh, maybe should be let go, but uh, like I said, before we do that. I gotta ask, just get you right in here. What's your favorite holiday candy? So I'm talking like Reese's trees, Snickers nutcrackers, red and green M&Ms, because we know they all taste different depending on what color. Uh, Reese's trees, I think would be my favorite. Um, I think I think Reese's anything, including uh, the bats for Halloween are great. Uh, I'd like a candy cane. I think as far as like the the food items that you have at the holidays that you wouldn't normally have, I think candy canes uh, kick the ass of uh, candy corn, for oh, example. Absolutely. Um, but I don't know. It's funny. Like I think the holiday uh, chocolate and candy thing has really been kicked into overdrive by Trader Joe's, um, which has. You know, when you walk into Trader Joe's now around Halloween or around, uh, especially around Christmas, uh, there's just an endless assortment of um, holiday branded candies and sweets, sometimes flavor specific, like a pumpkin spiced kind of deal for like yeah. the autumn or maple. And then oftentimes just holiday specific. I, you know, I think. Trader Joe's may have different varieties of advent calendars just because they want to sell you chocolate. Right. <laughs> but, but to me, that's really the, the biggest and most important uh, innovation in holiday candy is I think the, uh, the corporate partners uh, creating new entry points to it beyond uh, what's usually available at the checkout counter. Yeah. That's a, uh... That's way more insightful than, I, than anything I could have hoped for. I, Buddy, I my... you, could, you could throw anything at me and I guarantee, I guarantee you it's gonna be pretty insightful because I've got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah I, I, I just have my, my short little dinky list here where I'm like, all right, these are the candies my mommy gave me when I was young. It's the, uh, the Andes mints. And then uh, to your point of anything Reese's, I was a giant uh, Santa Reese's bar kid. So that that's still been on my list that I, I can't, um, can't not Andy's eat. Andy's candy is, Andy's candy is the big uh, thing of, of uh, individually wrapped mints was actually <laughs> the first candy I ever gave a girl for Valentine's Day. And um, it poorly, cause like, you know, <laughs> girls want like, candy hearts and uh and, and and stuff like that and i i just went to the supermarket and, and picked what i thought would be a substantial gift that would last beyond valentine's day but it's not really what what she was looking for because like all of her friends are getting like candy hearts and like little cupids and stuff and yeah, little teddy bears holding stuff and i gave her like a brick of andy's candies that's that's a that's a risk too because she can interpret that as uh that breath be kicking <laughs> Or, I mean, it could also just be, in, you know, like, I want to take you on vacation to the Andes and here's oh. my promise ring, well, that... which I maybe rationalized it after it was such a disastrous <laughs> gift 
as after the years. <laughs> oh, all right. So that's what I know you're going to be a fan of too on this little break the ice thing. All right. So we know we know his name now. So going forward, are you going to be saying Grogu, the child, or Baby Yoda still? I'm probably going to stick with Baby Yoda. Um, totally. Just because of the it's easy cute. the ease of the shorthand. Yeah. I mean, Grogu's not a bad name. I think it's a little uh, Dragon Ball Z adjacent for my liking. Um, but it's 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 a fine name. I didn't have any any issue yeah. with it. Uh, but it's it's I mean it's baby it's baby Yoda going forward. I, I the thing I didn't like was I don't know maybe I do like it. I, I haven't figured out if I do or don't like it yet. But I I was struck by uh, not having Ahsoka um, make a like a, a direct baby Yoda reference. Like oh this it looks like you have a little baby Yoda here, and like maybe that's something that you'd put in a movie to make the crowd pop, and you don't necessarily need it in the TV show. But it just seemed like a pretty obvious thing to have her be like, "This looks like a a smaller version of something I'm aware of," and it would be I, I something that you'd but, probably say. I can't help but picture her picking him up and shaking him as she says that. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so then, uh, this this is going to get outside of our, our icebreakers here, but I figure I've got Greg Wyshynski. Um So I'm, my nose is going to get a little brown here, but um, I, I honestly consider you one of the best conversational interviewers uh, in the game. So I, I wanted to ask, just to, we're going to get meta here, so outside of hockey and more inside like journalism and podcasting, um, you make it sound like you're sitting with a good buddy, with anybody you're talking to. Is that... You think that's more organic personality for Greg, or are you conscious of that when you know you're going to sit down with someone? No, I was. It's funny. I was just thinking about this uh, yesterday because I have a, a column coming out this week that uh, focuses on um, a hockey bar in Seattle that had to close because of COVID, and uh, I ended up talking to the guy for an hour, uh, which, and after I got. I thought I'm like why why the hell did I talk to this guy for an hour and it, and it occurs to me that it's just you know I just I kind of hit it off with certain people and then kind of hit, hit it off in certain interviews and I think it's a combination of a few things I mean one it's you know a lot of times it's a combination of my own curiosity with an interview subject but also um, my constant need to amuse myself uh so so sometimes interviews can 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 be good because you're just like you know you're you're genuinely curious about someone else but you're also you know kind of like wondering about little little quirky aspects of their life or their existence that might amuse me um and i think my own amusement transfers over to the the interviews and the q and a's um but i the two things that i've learned as an interviewer mm -hmm. are one um to just ask whatever you want to ask and to not be afraid of asking something that's going to make them scurry away like a like a scared bunny like it doesn't matter to me anymore if the interview goes off the rails or or if I ask the wrong thing and they shut down because you know there are just some things that need to be asked and and obviously there's strategic ways in which you can ask things where you, you know I don't think it's a exactly a, a magician's trick to know to to ask the tougher question maybe a little bit later in the interview after you've established rapport um but don't be afraid to ask a thing uh that you think might upset the person 
mostly because you don't know what the reaction is going to end up being, you know, and, and then you can just, you just roll with the punches depending on, on what the reaction ends up being. Um, and the second thing is, and I learned this actually probably during uh, the pause when I was doing a lot of like phone interviews and zoom interviews and stuff is to, um, to ask shorter questions. Uh, I'm a pretty verbose guy in my writing and in my talking as we are now like in minute five of this answer, <laughs> but like, but I've, I've learned to kind of just like, I guess the, the, the thing is, is like, don't make the question too long, but also keep it as broad as possible. I think that was my other problem as an interviewer was sometimes I would be maybe too specific in my questioning because I knew, I knew the thing that I was looking for. Um, but sometimes it's, it's better to kind of just like create a, a broader spotlight than try to put on like the high beams in, in a question. And, and I've learned that over the years too. No, that's, I mean, honestly, that, that turns into me now taking notes af after the, after I'm listening to this later. So, all right, Matt, <laughs> you didn't just interview to get content, you interviewed to learn something here. So that's, <laughs> that's good. Now to your point about asking the hard questions. Uh, an article back in 2012 that you wrote. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you listen, we, we, we could do seven hours on the right. nonsense I wrote at Puck Daddy uh, that, that today would have they got me in trouble. And, you know, uh, over the years, I've had to apologize for some of the stuff I wrote because you just you, you live and change and, and right. learn and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> Well, yeah, we could finally pivot now uh, to why I wanted you to come on. We'll talk uh, some Detroit Red Wings hockey. Um, so we have uh, your your book. Let's start there. I want I want to I want to use this because uh, you you do ask the hockey viewer to take their eyes off the puck. Now, for Red Wings fans, I feel like it's possible you might want us to also take our eyes off the ice, the skates, the sticks, the players, <laughs> everybody on the benches. I mean, uh, from that national perspective, again, um, I mean, you take a look at from an analytical perspective, like you've got Don Lachizan, who's like, no, you guys improved, but uh, still dog crap. Uh, <laughs> so like, what, what does it look like for Red Wings fans uh, to, to get some insight from that, that national perspective? I mean, that's about where I am too. Like a, a lot of the smaller moves that they made to shore up parts of the team, the Troy Stature uh, signing, uh, Merrill, uh, another one, Nemestikov, another one. I mean, these are are clearly short-term band-aids on on certain problems with the team, with an eye towards, you know, what what should be a three-year plan in front of the in front of the franchise. I mean, right. You know, not only is is Steve Eisman building out the prospect pool. He's got a ton of draft picks coming up this season. I'm sure he'll have even more coming up next season. And, you know, I, I, if I'm a Red Wings fan, I put my full faith in, in the idea that this guy is going to be able to be the architect of, of a contending team. Um, but it's pretty clear that, that it's not going to be this year. And it's right. fairly clear that it's not going to be next year. Right. Um, because I, I think part, you know, part and parcel of, of Eisenman's task has been not only building out the prospect pool and not only going super young and, and doing the total rebuild, um, but part of the total rebuild is also getting to that point that you're going to have after the season where there's only like less, what, like less than 10 guys under contract or something. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so, like so it's, 
combination of cleaning out the end of the Kenny Holland regime while also building the prospect pool. And that takes time and it takes patience. And I think that the smartest thing that he did was come back to the franchise and, and lay it out there that, look, man, I ain't a miracle worker. You know, this is going to be a situation where we're going to do this slowly and steadily and, and ultimately successfully. But, um, you know, don't, don't expect Stevie Y, you know, magic pixie dust to be sprinkled on the ice and all of a sudden the Red Wings are winning the division again. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's something for us as we've been watching this happen, uh, you know, pretty close. It, you you want to see a vision. You know, he speaks of a strategy and he says, we're going to build through the draft. We're not going to just sign free agents. Um, and, that, and that's exactly what we see happening where you, you, you see all the flexibility in the roster, like you mentioned. Uh, I mean, it's not only just getting rid of a Justin Abdulkader contract, which, you know, that he was a fantastic guy, but he wasn't helping the team anymore. It wasn't that, or it's not just that. It's also the fact that there wasn't another five-year contract that jumped on to the books this year. It was, let's continue with the flexibility because anything we do right now isn't necessarily going to be for when that core is being built, when the Stanley Cup is an actual opportunity. And it's just, it's all about, it, it's just the, the title of flexibility, just over and over on, on every move that he's made so far. Um, right. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I want to talk too about specifically that Bobby Ryan move because I want to get, um, it, it's something that I thought was uh, fantastic. We didn't see it coming. Uh, Bobby Ryan being signed to potentially just be trade bait later on. Uh, but I want to look at it from the Bobby Ryan perspective because it's mutually beneficial for, bro- for both. Obviously for the Red Wings, they have potential on a top six forward. We're not going to the playoffs this year anyway. So if he stinks, no big deal. One-year contract. Um, but from a Bobby Ryan perspective and NHL player perspective going forward, how is this not something that more players are putting, like taking into consideration of doing a one-year contract with a stinker like the Red Wings and making part (laughs) of this conversation, you're going to trade me to who's ever at the top of the the conferences, uh, once we get to the trade deadline, because I would make the argument you have. Well, I mean, it's probably plain to see you, you have way more opportunity from a Bobby Ryan perspective to get on a Stanley Cup contender at the trade deadline because you can actually see how these teams are performing uh, than he would right now if he said, I'm going to sign for cheap with, you know, Stanley Cup contender A, B or C when injuries could derail that opportunity, something like that could happen, um, just, you know, flubs throughout the season. So I, I don't know if you saw the contract signing like I saw it and that's that's to me, I feel like it should change the NHL. I think, I mean, I think the changes are already happening. I mean, this, this signing is um, in the same genre as Brad Richards uh, taking the buyout money and signing with Chicago. It's in the same genre as Kevin Shattenkirk taking the buyout money and signing with Tampa. I think it's probably closer to the Shattenkirk example than it is to the Richards example. Richards was, you know, just a, a, a big bloated contract and a player that still had a lot to offer and and his reputation wasn't necessarily as damaged as as Shattenkirk's was with the Rangers. So I think in Ryan's case he takes the buyout money and it's more of that you know reputation mending uh hey remember I'm still Bobby Ryan kind of kind of play where he's going to get his ice time and uh in a way that he wouldn't have gotten in another market. And it's, you know, he's, he's got a, a very low cap hit that obviously 
any team looking for help at the deadline, should he perform up to standards, would be happy to take on. But then the other added part of this uh, above and beyond the Shattenkirk example, obviously, is is the, the personal issues that, that Ryan's had. And as much as we want to give the benefit of the doubt and as much as we should give as many chances as possible to people that are in recovery, um, the fact of the matter is that the NHL is a very, you know, show me that you're okay kind of league. And um, I mean, look no, no further than even the Robin Lehner situation a couple of years ago where the market for him, uh, I mean, a goalie that I think, you know, should have had a pretty robust market after leaving the Islanders. Uh, it wasn't there. And, you know, the, the whispers were partially because of his personal issues and, you know, obviously not an issue anymore. And the fact that the Vegas committed right. such a big contract to him. So I think Bobby Ryan's also has, has that aspect to him as well, along with, he's got to kind of have to prove himself on and off the ice a little bit. Yeah. And it's still, I, I think uh, if, if I looked inside and tried to analyze why I was so excited about that signing, I think I want to see more of it because I figure the Red Wings can be the team that can afford to do this for the next few years. So I would love, yeah. I mean, how, how many years in a row did we bring Thomas Vanek back? So I, I can't pretend <laughs> like it hasn't happened before, but. Um, it, and that's going to be the really interesting thing too, by the way, when they're good yeah. is, I mean, there was always this very odd thing with the Red Wings in the sense that they clearly had money and, and, and uh, great ownership. Um but we're never really the team that landed the big free agent fish. And I mean, you know, you think back to Parise and Suter and, and right. their pursuit of at least one of them, you know, there was other mitigating factors involved there, but they've never really been the place to, to, I mean, like what's, what's the last huge, you know, free agent win was it like Franz Nielsen. Right. Maybe? That's what I, uh, you took, you stole my thunder. I was going to make that into a joke. There it goes. Yeah. <laughs> but as I'm saying like, so, so what's going to totally be interesting to see about Franz. You know, was it was it a Kenny Holland thing? Was it before that a Mike Babcock thing? Because that was always a whisper that people didn't want to play for Babcock. Like when the team gets good and they're young and they're on the upswing, um, it, it, what are we going to see as far as the free agency free agency thing goes? And and you know, it's not always a situation where you know Eiserman has dabbled in free agency all that much when he was GM of the Lightning. Um, a lot of the talent there was homegrown, but it, it would be interesting to see what the dynamic is for Detroit. If they have, you know, if the cap is flat, they're a super young team. They've got some money to spend. There is a free agent out there that, that uh, is a top of the line, you know, transformational type player, like a, like a Pietrangelo was this year. Like, what is that? What does that look like for the Red Wings in three years where maybe it didn't look like it for them 10 years ago? And I I think I'm hopeful too, that it becomes something where uh, when we win the Stanley cup and we're, we're going back and forth in like 2008, we're picking up Marion Hosa. And that was like our big, yeah. that's like, we're still going to hang on. Uh, but I want it to be where we don't, I don't know. I, I just want to get away from needing that big free agent splash. I know part of it too is like, Oh my God, I can't wait till we're playoff contenders again. Jesus. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think following along with that Iserman plan, I think he wants, like, it feels to me, we're just going to get to that point where that's going to be the cherry on top. And that's probably what you're referring to as well. But I, I, I want it to feel like that. I want it to be the Marion Hosa thing where we're going to be good with or without him. But um, no, I, I, I think right now too, we're seeing a lot of players respond. Like, why did you sign with the Red Wings? Oh, I had a chat with Steve Iserman and I got on board. It's like, all right, either there's some sort of mafia, 
internal conversations going on uh horses being left in people's beds or <laughs> steve eisman really has like a, a hell of a plan that he's presenting to these players and they're they're jumping on board uh yeah. honestly either way i'd be so proud of steve if i found out <laughs> there's something going on like that uh all, all for it as long as my team team starts winning again um last question because right. i know i've held on to you way longer than i said um should should we prepare for a february start date Ooh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> so the teams have always, at least in mine and Emily Kaplan's conversations, we found them to kind of think that the season was going to start in the middle of January anyway, like around all-star time. Okay. Um, the only reason that they gave lip service to the January one start date was because Gary Bettman was so adamant about it. And there was always a sense of like, well, if Gary wants it it usually is going to happen but the the most teams were sort of preparing for the idea that it was going to be in the middle of the month now i don't know if that means training camp middle of the month start date in february or what but they were always under the impression it was going to be middle of the month i think we're going to see training camps open after the first and i think we're going to see the games start maybe like two weeks later um i'm assuming it's still going to be in, in home arenas uh it just seems like too much money and too much uh, logistical effort to try to make the, the hubs work. But I, I think right. you can't dispel the hub idea now that the COVID rates have spiked. And, you know, one of the things to really look at, uh, you know, one of the things you always hear from the league is it, the health experts are going to dictate when we start and they're going to dictate the format of the season. And that's absolutely true. And I think one of the things you have to look at now is the lo local restrictions on mass gatherings and how they would influence even an empty arena game. Uh, because if you remember Edmonton and Toronto, there were standards in which you could only have a certain number of people in the arena. Um, so if you have local municipalities that aren't allowing the number of people that you would need to have two teams, two staffs, uh, TV, cameramen, whatever, inside the arena, then you might actually start to see the situation we saw with the 49ers where uh, they go and, and play their games elsewhere uh, until the regulations are eased. And, and I think that's something to kind of keep in, keep in the back of your head uh, as, as we approach uh, the start of the season. So maybe if we can get Gary in a room with uh, Vince McMahon and Tony Khan, they can come up with a good plan to <laughs> break some rules and get people in these arenas. Uh, yeah, no, play, 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 play outdoors in Florida, apparently. Yeah, the, that, that'll uh, work. Tony Khan plan, yeah. No, I thought a lot of that too, the January 1st, uh, like I wouldn't be surprised if they said, you know, Gary comes out and says, well, that, that was the plan. Like we're, we're going to talk about the season starting. So it was January 1st, you know, something like that being spun, but uh, it definitely sounded nice to hear January 1st was going to be the start date. But uh, Greg, I promised you that would be it. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on, uh, especially the start of our season two for Red Wings rant. Um, so I, I, uh, I, I wish you all the best in the upcoming season. Hopefully we're both going to be working hard on pushing out the content. And um, yeah, I, uh, I, I guess if there's anything else I missed at the top of the show that you want to give a quick plug to, but uh, other than that, I, I can't thank you enough. Oh no. The uh, you know, only thing I would say is that uh, for Puck Soup, we do have a Patreon. Um, it's pretty robust. Uh, a lot of content on there, uh, bonus stuff for the show weekly mailbags two bonus episodes ryan lambert writes a newsletter you can get um and then we also just started a discord uh 
server for people to go and, and have uh, conversations all day with other listeners. And there's like a, you know, like a thousand people, I think on it. Uh, so it's, a, it's a pretty cool, cool deal. And, and it's not too much money each month. And uh, it's uh, a good place to find a lot more stuff from us, especially at a time we aren't doing the podcast on a regular basis. Right. All right. Uh, sounds good to me. I think uh, I, I haven't done the discord yet, but uh, there's no reason I haven't done it yet. I'm already doing all the <laughs> yeah. stuff and everything on Puck. Get on there. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Greg. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Oh, Hey, uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Thanks for watching the interview with Greg. Uh, love that I just screwed that one up right there. Um, absolute blast uh, talking to Greg. But um, yeah, I hope you guys will, all, you know, check out everything Greg was talking about with the Discord on uh, Puck Soup. And um, if you're not already, Puck Soup Podcast is one of the things that uh, got me into podcasts. Uh, also, like we mentioned earlier, the uh, ESPN on Ice is also fantastic to check out. Uh, that Discord, he's got that newsletter uh, that uh, Ryan La uh, Ryan Lambert's helping uh, write down. But also, don't forget to check out BODpodcast.com, BrothersOfDiscussion.com, where we got Jesse Yell's uh, latest uh, ditty about uh, trading Darren Helm as he goes through the, lit the litany of short-term contracts still on the uh, Detroit Red Wings books that have some potential to be moved this season. Of course, we've already gone over Tyler Bertuzzi, Bobby Ryan, and uh, this week is Darren Helm. Now, um, of course, what comes with that is the asterisk that we don't necessarily want to see any of these guys go. We're just having the conversation. Is it possible that they could leave? What's the value we could get back? So check those out on bodpodcast.com and brothersofdiscussion.com. There's also our um, uh, shop that you can take a peek at. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're watching right now, if this popped up because you're a fan of Greg Wyshynski, uh, there is much more to come from Red Wings Rant and the Hockey Podcast Network. So we hope that you'll hit that subscribe button and uh, find us on uh, Twitter at BOD Hockey and on Instagram where we meme it up at brothers underscore of underscore discussion. Uh, that, of course, is in reference to our wrestling show where I'm going to go run right now and watch AEW. If you guys want to follow us, we are at BOD Podcast. We're going to be live tweeting. Uh, the rest of winter is coming if you are a pro wrestling fan, so come check that out uh, literally right now. So I'll be editing the rest of the show and watching that uh, right when I wrap up here. So thanks again for tuning in, everybody, and uh, can't thank Greg enough. And, uh, of course, follow along with everything going on with the uh, Hockey Podcast Network. Can't miss any of that there. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.